Welcome to the Spirit Anointing the Word, the podcast of Highland Church, Jamaica, New York, with Pastor Subash Cherian. We're so glad to have you with us today, and we're excited about God's Word because it gives us strength and hope for each and every day. Let's listen as Pastor Subash shares this powerful message. Father, you have done great things. You are doing great things, and you will continue to do great things. You are a great, mighty God. We come together, O oh God, to acclaim your greatness, your power, your mercy. And we thank you so very much for all that you are and all that you do. Your love and your mercy endure forever. Grace and truth from you through Christ our Lord. And we are so grateful at this point, O oh God, as we gather together, we want to open our hearts Open, O oh God, to your touch. Holy Spirit, reach out and meet every need today. Whisper your love. Touch each life, we pray, and precious ones that are here and those that are watching. And we join, O oh God, together to pray that you would touch each and every one of us. Heal us in the inner man. Heal us, O oh God, deepen our soul, our will, our emotion, our intellect, and heal, O oh God, our body and everything around it, including our weather and finance. There are needs, O oh God, only you can meet today. And there are lives that hang in the balance only you can touch and help and deliver and save. And we give you glory and honor, Adonai, to you, our praise, our worship, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, God's people said, Amen and amen. Give the Lord a clap offering. My message this morning is to do with the Lord has done great things. I want you to repeat these two words, great things. Go ahead, say one more time, great things. One more time, great things. The Lord has done great things whereof we are glad. And I want to take from this passage from Psalm 126, verses 1 to 3. And when the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like that, that dream. Then was our mouth with the laughter and our hearts with singing. Then said they among the heathen, the Lord has done great things for them. Yes, the Lord has done great things for us, whereof we are glad. So this is an acclaim that even people outside said the Lord has done great things for them. And here is what the Hebrew people are saying. The Lord has done great things for us, whereof we are glad. It's a five-point message. To make it simple, I'll be talking about dreams come true, number one. Number two, the Lord did it. Number three, the Lord can do it again. Number four, the seed turns into sheaves. And number five, through you. So very important that we understand, number one is dreams come true. Number two, simply the Lord has done it and we give praise and glory and honor to God. Number three, the Lord can do it again. Number four, 
our seeds, that's found in 126 and verse 6, can be turned into sheaves or it can be multiplied and God can use you through Christ. So I would just want to mention, this is because of an experience that we've gone through. I've taken this uh, message uh, moving out from what we have been doing earlier and I'll try and complete God willing next Sunday. But what I want to say is the Lord has done great things for us whereof we are glad. So the first thing I wanted to understand is here are the people of Israel going through a very difficult time and this passage comes out of a turmoil, out of pain, out of, out of so much of suffering and turmoil. And you would never know what it is to enjoy the freedom without knowing what it is to go through the tears and to go through pains. So the very beginning that we find is dreams can come true. What I mean is, look at what it says in Psalm 126 and verse 1. When the Lord, Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. So when the Lord started doing what he was doing, just at that time, we were people that thought we were dreaming. Pinch me, find out if I'm still awake. Is this for real? Am I seeing something or is it a fantasy or is it real? So here's the psalmist saying, we were like them, that dream. It is like in a stupor. It is like awakening and saying, hold it. Is this true? Is this real? That actually happened in the many instances not only in the Old Testament with the people of the Old Testament, the Hebrew, but also in the New Testament, the church and the apostles and the prophets and so forth. What you find when you look into this passage is, think about it. Joseph locked in a prison for so many years, and then when you come to chapter 50 and verse 20, he's set free and he becomes the reason why not only he, but his brethren and the whole remnant that had moved into Egypt found safety, provision, and providence of God. Think about the marvelous way in which God brings about this. Here's a widow with her son, and she's all by herself, and then there is a total famine. She's just got one morsel to feed her and her son before she dies, and then, whoa, it is like she woke from a dream because she heeds to a prophet and she not only lives but has sustenance for her son. It's a dream come true. When you turn to chapter 5 of the book of John, you see a man that is important that's lying there, no means, just waiting for someone to pull him into the water, but he loses that opportunity. And yet, lo and behold, Someone comes to him and says, take up your bed and walk. It's a dream come true. Chapter 9 of John is a blind man seeking, hoping, dreaming. Would it be possible for him to see with his eyes he had never seen before? And lo and behold, someone touches him and he's able to see. It's a dream come true. When you turn to Mark chapter 2, you find four people bringing one man. 
he is bedridden, never walked, and he is laid at the feet of the Lord. They take him from the roof, break the roof down so he could be taken down. And the Lord said, take up your bed and walk. It's a dream come true. And then when you turn to Mark chapter 5, a hopeless, dejected, despondent, and totally mentally incapacitated person in the gatherings, taken and possessed by the devil. No hope, his family wearied of him. They didn't know what could ever happen. He must have in his own life thought, would I ever come back to normal again? And then he meets with Jesus, and it's like a dream come true. Totally delivered. And he's of sound mind. <clears throat> I want you to realize when you go through these passages, again and again you realize <clears throat> the power of dreams coming true and because of the intervention of God. You know, when you turn to Luke chapter 17, these are people filled with leprosy. And then it is something that could never have happened. And lo, behold, they are totally clean. And one comes to worship and to give thanks to the Lord. I want you to know in all of these instances that I've taken from the Old Testament and the New Testament, this becomes what would be the incident and would be situations of so many people who were once in drugs, who were once who were lost, once dead, so to speak, like zombies. And yet through the mercy and intervention of the Lord, their life has been changed. And it is like they're walking from their dream. Everyone has an inspiration, has some vision, has deep down some dream the Lord has put into his heart. Even though they have been brought and captured or locked in, something happens. They're hoping, they're hoping that maybe they'll come out of the dream and they would see some of a reality, not just a fantasy. But what I want you to know, dreams comes to pass. And what is important is we come to that recognition that God is able to translate what would be our deadness and bring into life and bring us into life with that life that he alone can give through Christ. Dreams can become a reality if we allow God to break through and intervene in our life. It could be divine interruption, you might say, but that's the greatest, the greatest thing that have happened into our life. Once I was blind, the man said, but now I see. Once I was chained, but now I'm set free. Once I was down and under with drugs, captured, captive, but now I'm released. I have found life a new zest for living. Dreams come to pass. You know, when you think about what you find in this passage, let's read Psalm 126 and verse once again. When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. So when the Lord begins to move, things begin to change. We are like in a world and say, oh my God, is this real? Is this a dream? We were like then then dream. Then the next verse says, then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongues with singing. 
These were people who had experienced sorrow and pain and trouble and tribulation, and they were distressed and they despondent and they were disheartened and discouraged. But then out of that situation, from where they were in deep despondency, from an abyss all the way down, they lifted up. Love of God lifted them up. Our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. We must be people that have known not only pain and tears and sorrow, but translated into laughter, and we must be filled with singing. The Old Testament people were people with a song. That's why there's a psalm. And the New Testament people are filled with song. That is amazing when you see the many aspects of singing and the songs and the benedictions and the adoration that is found in the book of the epistles. So we find a people with laughter, a people that at once sat down in the dungeons where there was darkness, and now with laughter and singing, it's like a dream. It's like a dream that has come through. I want you to realize when you think about the situation that happened with the people of Israel, the things that translates from what would be impossibility to possibility when God makes it possible, when the Lord turned again. That's so important. Now I want you to understand when you look at this word, when the Lord turned again the captivity, we think of captivity as something of a cage, something that we were bound in, something that you could call the three L. It is simply limitations that's placed upon you. It is simply the lack thereof. Or it could be thereof a lid put on top where you are totally inside and no way to go. The word, the Lord delivered us from captivity or turned our captivity or sign, simply says a people that should have been contagious with joy had the three C. They were constricted. They were constrained. And they were contained. Have you been in a situation, or are you going through a situation where you are limited, the lack thereof, and you have a lid placed over you? Such a liability. Or, in the words of C, you're constrained, you're, you're, con, const, you're totally contained and constricted. You can't go anywhere. It's a limitation placed. And here were people that had been limited. When you go all the way back into the book of Exodus, you find them in Egypt. And then, years and years later, in Babylon, limited, constrained, and simply contained. But the song doesn't end there. It says, when the Lord turned again, the captivity of Zion, we were like them, that dream. So it is simply that things are possible when God begins to move. I sense there's a great move of God in this nation and across the world. What we see impossibility, what we see is darkness, what we see is so much of turmoil, whether it be in the field of politics or whether in the field of finance or whether in the field of health. We've gone through a pandemic and still going through. We've come out of recession, and then when we're enjoying, we're told that we could face another recession. In the midst of turmoil and trouble and tribulation, I want you to understand that 
hold on to your dreams hold on to the vision hold on to the voice that god has been prompting to your heart because dreams can become a reality and the words that i want to say is great things let's go to verse 2 of 126 look at the word two words it says our mouth was filled with singing and and then said they among the heathens the lord has done what great things then in verse 3 listen to what it says the lord has done great things for us whereof we are glad here they said the lord has done great things but we want to make this a confession when the lord turned again the captivity of zion simply the lord has done great things for us give the lord a clap offering You know, I want to uh, address a situation in the life of the people of Israel. When you turn to Nehemiah chapter six, verse fifteen, they were going through a very difficult period. The entire things were smashed in Israel, the holy temple, the walls. Now there were people that came in, in Zerubbabel and others, to repair the temple, but was was the task of Nehemiah to repair the broken walls. I want you to understand it's not something like a Mickey Mouse can jump into and break it. That's what Tobia and others talked and joked about this wall. But literally, it was a big, massive wall, 14 feet uh, in width and uh, 10 feet in height. It was big enough and strong enough for ch- people to go sentry and to be able to have people with bows and arrows to protect the uh, the, uh, the the Jerusalem. And it's not simply a little place. It was the entire perimeter. of Jerusalem. So when you look at the temple that's a massive production reconstruction. But the wall was even bigger. And what the temple took about 15 to 20 years, this wall literally tells us was built in 52 days. So the wall was finished in the 20th and 5th day of month of Eul in 52 days. now whether it be 52 days or whether it be 52 months or 52 years i want you to know what god has begun in you will be completed whether one year 10 years or 50 years this is uh, something that they should be so glad about and they were rejoicing because by the time you come to the end of nehemiah and the book of ezra there's a great rejoicing Not only was the temple rebuilt but also the walls constructed so for them it was momentous it was something of a great rejoicing and they exchanged gifts and had a get together and gave thanks to God first and foremost because they said the Lord has done great things now i want you to know there was a lot of people involved in this project when you look at what happened before yes there was many people even before the walls were being built that showed and that's the reason why this favor was given because god in his grace put people down there way before nehemiah came in there was daniel who advised the great kings or what would be the powers they be in babylon and then of course there was esther after him and then years later there were people like nehemiah and uh, you find agai and and ezra and even zerubbabel who built the temple so there were people all in one way or the other involved and then with nehemiah when you look at chapter 3 
they together with their family, they together with the people of that trade, joined in together. So there were very many people, too vast to name, all of them in this great end of year, where ultimately we find in chapter 6 of Nehemiah and verse 15, the walls were completed in 52 days. But I want you to go into the next verse, and towards the end of it, what Nehemiah writes is he attributes to what the people said. Because they perceived that this work was wrought by our God. Oh, it was wrought by Elohim. It was God who did it, and the people acknowledged it. And what Nehemiah says, it was wrought by our God. We're so grateful for what took place. Also the fact that there were so many endures and many people joined in this process, they realized, they perceived, they understood that it was wrought by God. Now, it becomes personal for many of us here, and a large majority of you may not know. Way back in 1982, a vision in the heart of my predecessor, James Samuel Wright. He envisioned a place where people could gather together and they could have a place of their own way before the construction even started. So while he envisioned this and he went about planning this and began to find out how it would be possible, and by the time of 1984, begin the construction. And so it has been a long, tedious process of 40 years. I cannot tell you the numbers of people that have been involved, but not only Pastor James Wright and his son, but also a young man who literally grew up here, Andy, a Brazilian, and so many others, and I know every one of those workers that worked with him. And then, of course, the many people that were in the project planning and the engineers and the, and the people who designed and all of these people involved. And then, of course, there were the trustees involved, and I know Brother Don has been one of the earliest from the inception, and so many people that were there, and much later, and I've been there from 83, 84, and by the time he went to be with the Lord, I was basically able to do the next projection, the new edifice that you find in the next one. But in all of this, I want you to understand it was not only remarkable, just like I said, there are people like uh, Daniel and Esther and Nehemiah and, uh, and Ezra and Zerubbabel. There have been people as well here. But I want you to know the good news after 40 years, 40 is so significant because 52 is significant, but for us 40 because it's a place that you call trial, testing, and triumph. You find 40 years, you find the wilderness of trial of the children of Israel and the march before they entered the promised land. 40 days of fasting with Moses. 40 days Ezekiel lay on his right side. 40 days Goliath tormented the children of Israel and blasphemed the name of God until David stepped in on the 40th day. You find for 40 days Jesus fasted, and then finally you find the triumph where he cast out the evil spirits. In all of this, we are reminded of what we ourselves experience, the trial and also the testings, but thank God for the triumph. 
All this to say, I'm so happy to tell you that after 40 years, we were able to get what would be the certificate of occupying this place. So CFO has been granted. God is great. God is mighty. God is good. But I want to take this opportunity to tell you the angels that have come in to help us and bless us. What a powerful way in which God has blessed us, not only with the efforts of all of you people in prayer and, and standing with us in this, but even from the Department of Building, Mr. Ronaldo Hilton, the Assistant Commissioner, who was so helpful to us. And then, of course, the Commissioner, uh, basically Mr. Ira uh, Gluckman, who was so gracious and kind, and everyone in the building department, it's too numerous to name, who have blessed us and helped us, and all of this God used so that we would be here today and to say, blessed be the name of the Lord who made it possible. We are ever grateful for every one of them, but ultimately I want you to know we are grateful to God for His goodness and for His mercy. Give the Lord a clap offering. Dreams can be a reality. When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. I know in a more convenient season when we will sit down with the trustees and get together, we want to call it a celebration. And we want to proclaim a day of rejoicing, a day of uh, exhilaration, a day of exalting, magnifying our great Adonai, our God, our Father, in the name of Yeshua, Mashiach, our Lord, our Savior. Can you say amen? amen? The Lord has done great things whereof we are glad. When you turn to Luke chapter 17, verse 15 and verse 16, you find the passage where this man, he was healed. And what does he do? He comes back to give thanks to God. With a loud voice, he glorified God. That's exactly what happens in the book of Nehemiah. In the book of Ezra, there's an exaltation. There's a magnification of God as they celebrate this event with one another and exchanging gifts. So be grateful to God, give thanks to God, and we are so grateful to the people that have helped us, and particularly from the building department. I want to say this. When you think about what happened is, number one, dreams comes to reality. Can you say Amen. Dreams come to reality, and there is in each one of you a dream, a desire. It may take 52 days, it may take 52 months, or it may take 40 years. Don't give up on it. This is something you've got to hold on to it, because when the Lord turns again the captivity of Zion, the lid is taken off, the limitations is removed, and you're going to find the lack thereof is being supplied even by providence and by people that God has graced. Give thanks to God. Number two, God did it. So here is what Nehemiah says. Not simply the people said, the Lord, for they perceived the Lord has wrought this, not only in the book of his Psalm 126, we find, Then said they among the heathen, The Lord has done great things. But verse 3, we must acknowledge, The Lord has done great things for us, whereof, whereof we are glad. Number two, God has done it. When you go back into the Old Testament and the New Testament, 
again and again and again is the great God who said, I am. That's what his name is. Adonai's word to his people, I am that I am. Not I was, but I am. And so you find again and again the great works of wonders. How else can you explain? A man that was devoid, who was completely things taken away from his life. But by the time you go to Job chapter 42, all that was intense tears, that was incense pain, it was incense persecution, it was intense tribulations, it was intense trial, but there was a purpose for all of this because the curtain was not lifted for him to see. But we look back and we can read the book of Job. But he had no clue, but he had to simply trust God and put his faith in God. But by the time you come to chapter 42 and when you go into verse 12, the latter days of the, it was, it was different. God blessed, Ab the, blessed the latter end of, Ab of Job more than ever before. So what you find is a tremendous example of God's goodness. When you think in terms of uh, God reaching out to the people of Israel, God reaching out and, and changing the situations there, what an amazing, what an unbelievable God he is. You know, when you think about God reaching out to people when they cried, when they were there in the book of Exodus, and God brought them out, what a mighty way he brought them out. Or look at the life of Abraham or Jacob of the prophets, or the apostles of the New Testament. He heard their prayers. You know, in the book of Exodus chapter 14 and verse 22, they came walking on dry ground, walking through. That is the marvel of God. When you turn to Ruth chapter 4, Think about this. Here is a woman in verse uh, 16 and 17, highly favored. But that was not how it started. When Naomi came into town, the people said, Naomi, you are home. Wonderful. But she said, don't call me Naomi. My name is Mara. <clears throat> Naomi is pleasant. <clears throat> Mara simply is bitter. Her life has had a strange twist. Her husband and her two children died in Moab, and now she's coming bereft of the family, except her daughter-in-law, who basically was a Moabitess, not welcomed in Israel, because to the 10th generation, they could not receive such a person. And yet I wanted to understand, by the time this ends, not only is Ruth become the mother of what would be Obed, who is the father of Jesse, the father of David, the great king, who would have guessed? So in chapter 4 and verse 16 and 17, they say you are a highly blessed woman, a woman of Israel. How does that turn out to be, plans out to be from a strange twist, Amara back to Nehomi that is pleasant. God as a way of making dreams come through. Can you give the Lord a clap offering? This is not only the story of individuals, but collectively, not only of uh, the children of Israel, the Hebrew, but also the church as well through the intense persecution. God has a way of making dreams come to pass, and that has been the history in the Old Testament and the New Testament. I want you to realize when you go through the readings of the of these pr precious people, when you read Psalm 137, verse 1, 2, 1, th 2, and 3, 
Here were people in Babylon. Look at what it says. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down, we wept when we remembered Zion. It was nostalgic. Some of those that could remember, like Daniel, as taken away as a young lad. Others had no recollections. But for those now, after 70 years, they're still remembering fondly of the temple, of the beauty of that land. But now they are no more in that place. And in the midst of this in verse 2, look what it says here. We hanged our hops upon the willows in the midst thereof. It was no more joyous music. We put our music away. We put our instrumentalism away because we could not sing any song of mirth or joy. But verse 3, there they carried us, these people, the Babylonians required us of a song, and that wasted us, required us a mirth and joy, saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. And verse 4, how can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? They had dreams, maybe we will sing. Maybe we'll dance again. Maybe our sadness will turn to mirth and joy and our sign to singing. But will that be possible? I want you to understand, as you read the history, the dreams become a reality. Because when you turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 36 and verse 22 and 23, the very first year when Cyrus became the king of Persia, and the word of the Lord spoken by the mouth of Jeremiah after 70 years, they would be set free. He writ a proclamation that the Hebrews can go back to Jerusalem. I want you to understand, God opens the door. Dreams become a reality. And guess what about all the other things that they want to carry? They want to take the instruments because now comes the songs of Zion. Now comes the joy and happiness. Thou hast turned, the book of Isaiah says, turned my sorrow into singing, my sigh into worship. That is what the Lord does. Think about it, my friend, in Acts chapter 12. Peter is locked up. There's intense persecution, seeing that, they, that uh, Herod could kill James. Now Peter is locked up in prison, but the church prayed. And then, what a miraculous way. Dreams become a reality, so much so that when he knocked on the door of the early church, Rhonda opened the row. She was someone who was helping out. She ran. She was frightened. She could not believe it. Dreams can become a reality. Prayers can be answered. And she said, look, the spirit of Peter has come. No, it is not the spirit of Peter who has come. God has answered your prayer and your dreams have come to pass. Prayers have been answered. Paul and Silas, we are told in chapter 16 of the book of Acts, was locked up. They were in a prison, but then there was a prison rock literally worshipped there. And then we are told in verse 25, it was a breakout. The whole thing blew up and they were able to come out and yet not just run out. What a magnificent way God led them and through them, the warden of that prison was saved. What a marvelous story of God's grace and God's mercy. Yes, we read this in the Old Testament. We read in the New Testament how dreams can become real. How prayers are answered. 
how tears can be turned into joy. And we find that in the history of the one who said, I am that I am, and I'm able to do all things. What I find so remarkable is not only, number one, dreams can become a reality. Number two, that God did it. But number three, God can do it again and again. Give the Lord a clap offering. Listen to what it says in Psalm 126 and verse 4 and 5. Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south, Negev, the desert that literally is a dry place, but the streams will come if only God would turn our captivity. So in the imagery of a, of a river that's run dry, that's how we are dried up, imprisoned, lack thereof, limited, contained, constricted. And yet he's deciding, turn again our captivity. We are like people in a prison, like in a, in a birdcage. May you release us. And like the water that runs through the streams in the south, verse 5 says, they that sow in tears shall reap in joy. So here they were sowing in tears. And I want you to know the song simply says, they that sow in tears shall reap in joy. The Lord is able to do it again. And he's able to do again. If you go back to verse 4, it says, turn again our captivity, O Lord. And what turn again is, Lord, bring things back. I know we are going to a very difficult situation in this country. We just through it, the whole world has gone through what would be a pandemic and we're still in it. But then we've come out of a recession and they tell us that we may be heading into another recession. So it has been uh, really a double whammy at this point. It's one thing after another. They say when it uh, rains, it rains cats and dogs. I don't think anybody has seen what we have seen in our lifetime. Seen so short a span, so much have changed, and so much things are changing. It's like we're up and down in a topsy-turvy world. We don't know what will happen next. But there's something I want you to understand. The word turn again is a business term, as well as an industrial term, as well as in a capital world simply means when a business is down, can you hope in a turnaround? Can you hope the business that is in such red can turn around to black again? Could it be possible they'll be turning around of the economy, a turning around of the health, a turning around of the healing, a turning around of the pathetic, sad situation where we are sad and we are bound and we are limited and we are constrained and contained, that we could have the freedom to move without fear or pain or all of the things of the negatives. So they are saying, turn again our captivity. Or in other words, Lord, in the words of Psalmist, will you not restore your people again? Or will you not Bring in recovery, recovery of health, recovery of peace and sanity and prosperity and financial and as well as for our young people and everything put together and literally a restoration 
of churches and people back to God. Can you say amen? Turn again our captivity, O Lord. The Lord has done it. He will do it again. And the reason I say is, the Lord's name is I am that I am. Never I was that I was. He's still the same I am as he was in the past. He is today in this 21st century. The same God who did the miracles and turned things around and turned the sorrow into joy is still the same God today as he was in the days of Moses or David or Abraham or Paul or David or Peter. I want you to understand this, my friend. When you look at the word restore or turn around, the first thing we need to turn around is in our soul. You know, God quickens our spirit that we are regenerated, we are born again. But it is the soul that is crushed. It's the soul that is bombed. It is the twin tower that is burst in our soul. The soul is the seat of emotion. A lot of people are going through such emotional out, uh, roller skater. They have literally, basically don't know what's going on. The soul is the seat of will. People don't have will anymore to live. And the seat of love and emotion have been crushed. That's what's happened in this pandemic. And that's going to worsen if there is going to be a recession. But I want you to know that is first thing the Lord wants to restore is what Psalm 23 and verse 3 says. The Lord is my shepherd, but in verse 3, he restored my soul. The place of will and intellect, the place of emotion. God wants to touch us from depression and from what would be dissolution, from what would be total depression, to come out of it, to fortify our soul. Where there's no more will to live, God wants to change that we will to live and live no matter what and go back into our business and go back to our school and go back and be the best, no matter how difficult the days have been. So there's going to be a restoration. Will thou restore? Will thou not, O oh God, turn again our captivity? And the Lord says, yes, he restoreth my soul. So many people have lost their joy. So many people have lost their songs. So many people have lost their testimony. And yet I wanted to know when David came to grip of his own sin, of his own depravity, a great man as he was, and when he acknowledged God in Psalm 51, Lord, hear my cry, he says. He was a broken man. But I wanted to know in chapter 51 and verse 12, listen to what he says. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation. There's a great salvation. That is a great, great work. But there is also the joy of salvation. Not only the joy that we have in this world because of what the Lord did, but a joy forevermore. Restore unto me. Turn again the captivity of Zion. Restore the joy of my salvation. You know, you could sympathize with David. He got beaten so badly that the Amalekites came just like that. And you can find the first description of Amalite, the Amalekites, you find in chapter, Exodus chapter 14, they came suddenly. And so too in David's time, 
You find the Amalekites had come down and Ziklag, where he temporarily were living, not only took and burned everything, but took his family and gold and fortunes and everything. So here he was totally, completely bereft of his family, of his fortune, of his future. In fact, his own people thought about stoning him, trying to blame him. But he turned to the Lord. And there's something yet asked, Lord, will you restore? Can I pursue these people? And the Lord said, go. And there's something else, the Lord said, I will restore. But towards the end, you're going to find in 1 Samuel chapter 30 and verse 18, listen to what it says, and David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried and rescued his two wives. Recover or turn things back. God can turn things back in your life. Maybe it's the joy. Maybe it's a soul, the will to live. Or maybe it's the emotion to love and to laugh. Or maybe it is a restoration of your health, a restoration of your fortunes, a restoration of the family, a restoration back into your ministry. No matter what it is, God is able to restore it again and again and again. Can you say amen? And that's what he can do even today. And the reason I believe this is important is because the Lord Jesus Christ, the manifesto of his ministry, actually when he was tempted and he comes out, he goes into the temple, and the book was opened to Isaiah chapter 61, and this is what he read in Luke chapter 4 and verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. He has sent me to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty them that are bruised. His was a ministry of turning around. And there are people who will stand up right here and give testify of how God turned their lives around from captivity. Captivity to drugs, captivity to negativity, captivity to hopelessness, captivity of everything that was destroyed in their life, and how he has answered the prayer, and tears have been turned into joy when God touched them and, and literally interrupted their life with joy and surprised them with joy. I want you to know God is still doing that today. And no matter what you're going through, I want you to understand in the, in the day of Pentecost, Peter alluded to the gospel with the writer, Joel. And he talked about in the last days something is going to happen. There is darkness and gross darkness, Isaiah tells us, but joy will come and there'll be a light. And I want you to know there's the glorious light of the Holy Spirit in the midst of darkness. But there's something Joel mentioned about in Joel chapter 2 and verse 25. Listen carefully what he says. And this is a promise. He's going to turn again the captivity. I don't know what it is that the locust has eaten in your life or the canker worm or the caterpillar or the palmer worm have done into your life. And this virus has destroyed so many lives. This virus has destroyed people's mental stability. Young people are depressed. There are people that has gone, war, gone off on their mind. There are people that have basically don't know what's going on. They're like living zombies. And yet I want you to understand what Joel says. The Joel says, and I will restore to you the years that the locust has eaten. The canker worm and the caterpillar and the palmer worm, my great army which I send unto you. It is time, Joel says, that you cry. 
I cannot tell you what a wonderful time we had at the time of prayer on Friday. It was a great move of God. It was a mighty move of restoration. And God is still in the business of restoration. Can you say amen? Number one, dreams comes to reality. Number two, it is God who did it. Number three, God can do it again. Number four, I want you to listen carefully. Your seeds can become sheaves. In other words, you have a seed in your life. You have a seed in your hand. It could whittle away and be of no use unless you realize that sheaves can turn to 30, 60, 100-fold. Every farmer knows that secret. Every individual who works hard knows that secret. Every business person knows that secret. Your seed is important. And when you look into this passage in chapter 26 and verse 6 of Psalm, listen to what he says, He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seeds. Bearing, you are bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come with rejoicing from bearing sheaves to bringing in the sheaves. You are bearing seed. But by the end of the day, if you decide and you determine to use that seed in a way that can bring forth multiplied, that would bless mankind, that would bless the church, that would bless the kingdom, it is simply you know how from bearing the seed you can bring in the sheaves. Bringing in the sheaves. And I want you to know every one of us in one way or the other, in one way or the other, are the oldest professions in the world. We're farmers at heart. No matter what you do in studies or in business or in any feat or any profession, this is still what would be the natural law principle of seed and bearing. Let me remind you how important it is. Because when you turn to this important thing, we need to realize that we come to a place we need the Lord. We must come to a place where we must depend on the Lord. And there is a very important principle that we need to realize. When we come to the end of our life, when we come to the end of our flesh, when we come to the end of our own ropes, our own ingenuity, we need more than anything else to respond to God. Not I want to do my way, but God, tell me what I should do. You know, when you turn to Genesis chapter 22, hey, Abraham was in a, cry, cry, a road that he did, crossroad, he didn't know what to do. He had been so preoccupied with Isaac, and suddenly God spoke to him in Genesis chapter 22 and verse 1, Abraham, Abraham, and this is his respond. Here am I, Lord. Hinani, here am I. I'm listening. This is so important we do that. The same thing you find in chapter 46 of Genesis and verse 2, God is speaking to, Abraham, to Jacob, and Jacob says, Here am I, Lord. What do you want me to do? And God is turning the course of his life. This is so important for us to realize. You know, when you turn to a young man, a budding young lad, and the turning point is when he hears the words of God speaking, Samuel, Samuel, he didn't understand until 
the, pre- the priest told him what he should do. So when you turn to 1 Samuel chapter 3 and verse 10, the Lord speaks to him again. And here is what Samuel says, Speak, Lord, for your servant heareth. It could be in the most difficult of time, as Isaiah God went through. In Isaiah chapter 6, he's sitting in the temple at a time when his own uncle had died. But verse 4 tells us earlier, he sees the, the angels of God, holy, holy, and then he sees the house was filled with smoke. And a couple of things happened. He heard the words. He sought the Lord. The Lord touched his lips. And then a voice came, and that you can find in verse 8. And the Lord saying unto him in verse 8, Whom shall I send? And Isaiah said, Here am I, Lord. Here am I. This is so important, particularly in these days. We need to respond to God. You know, this is what a man like Saul, who would have even imagined a persecutor, a person who hated the church and the Lord Jesus, And yet in chapters 9 and verse 6 of the book of Acts, he sat on a high horse, he had to fall, and he had to cry, Who art thou, Lord? I want you to understand, every one of us may be sitting high and mighty in a horse, pompous, but this is a day when we will be falling, and in the matter of time, we will lose our respect, our own worth of what we thought was money, and our own honor, and our own wealth, and the only thing we need to do is when we go into the rock bottom to be able to know that nowhere else except the goodness of God and only God can lift us up. Love lifted me. When everybody else had gone, it was love that lifted me. Give the Lord a clap offering. So when you come to this passage in 4, you're going to find sheaves come out of what would be a seed? And today we are listening to what happens. Out of this comes the reality of a tremendous powerful message. You know, I'm running short of time, so I want to go to number five. God is able to do great things. He can do mighty things. But very important for us to understand, it is God who does it. But in the midst of it, there is in every one of us a seed in our hand. It could be the seed of our time. It could be the seed of our life. It could be the seed of our family. It could be the seed of our talent. It could be the seed of our gifts. It could be the seed of our ministry. It could be the seed of our finance. It could be the seed of our hope and aspiration and dreams. They would die if you do nothing about it. And by default, it could just be of nothing. But we must determine and make it an effort to realize this seed is so valuable, it is for eternity. If only we could let the Lord come into our life and we could say, Lord, I come to you. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I want to ask you, my friend, what did you do with the seed from heaven? And down into our life is life and light that comes from God. In the end, we are not here for a time and season. We are men for eternity. You know, it's important to realize that even though we come to the conclusion 
just as they said the Lord did great things and we say the Lord did great things for us, even as they perceived that it was God that wrought it and we say, yes, it is God, but God always looks for individuals to take responsibility. The sovereignty of God goes hand in hand with the responsibility of men. That it behoves every one of us to make the decision and make life count to make us come to that realization that I am for eternity and I must have a part in eternity and God puts eternity in our heart through Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, I want you to understand when you turn to Exodus chapter 14 and verse 31, look at this statement when the people of Israel were delivered. I want you to realize Israel saw the great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians. And the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. This word, great work. You go through the scriptures, you're going to find great work. The Lord has done great work. And yes, the Lord has done great work in our lives, we say, as the psalmist 126 says. And the people saw the great work which the Lord did. And yet hold that thought for a moment. When you turn to Exodus chapter 14 and verse 7, God had set the people out, but Pharaoh was still not willing to let them go. And he chose the 600 chosen chariots and all the chariots of Egypt and the captains of every one of them and said, we'll pursue these people all the way to the end of the sea and make mincemeat of them. We're not going to be humiliated by them. We're going to show who is Lord. There's the Pharaoh of this world, even Satan that would want to crush us. And he's come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And he's got the finest chariots to chase us down into the blue sea. But I want you to realize this. When the people of Israel saw in verse 10, verse 11, and verse 12, they cried. And they said, why did we come here like there were no graves in Egypt? And suddenly, they're blaming God. They're blaming Moses. They're bemoaning the very fact that they came out of a terrible lifestyle, out of intolerable pain and tribulations and trouble with a hard taskmaster. But I want you to realize, Moses begins to stir their heart when you turn to verse 13. This is what Moses said. And Moses said unto the people, Fear you not, stand still and see the salvation of God. There's something you have to do. Keep quiet, stand still and see the salvation of God, which he will show you today. For the Egyptians which you have seen today, you shall see no more. Verse 14, now God speaks to Moses and the people the moment Moses spoke in this way. And the Lord shall fight for you, and he shall hold your peace. So hold your peace, Moses says. And now verse 15. God is saying unto Moses, wherefore are you crying? Speak unto the children. Speak what? Move forward. Pandemic or recession, don't stop. No wall before you. God is going to break the wall. Move forward, move forward, move forward. Get out of the four corners of that room. Get out of the walls, move forward. Nothing should cause you to, to stay stagnant. 
Now listen to what he says in verse 16. This is what I call, in the midst of the sovereignty of God, an act of human responsibility. Lift up the rod and stretch thine hand over the sea and divide it, and the children of Israel shall go on dry ground. God, you're going to do it all. But God says to Moses, the seed of faith, lift up that rod. In each one of us is not only the seed of faith, but there is a rod, whether it be gift or talent or ministry, lift it up. And in verse 17, you're going to find, I will harden the hearts. And by the time you come to verse, the next couple of verses, they walked on dry ground. Now in verse 26, God is telling them, now lift up the rod and let the waters be closed. How do you do this? God is going to close the waters, but you have to exercise your faith. And when you come to verse 30, listen to what it says here. The Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of Egyptians. Now comes this classic statement in verse 31. And Israel saw the great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians. Now I want you to understand, it is what the Lord did. But in between was an action that God had asked that opened the door for what would be God doing the final work. Every one of us have a rod, have a seed, have an action that we have to do. It is human responsibility. And then you find the great work of God. The Lord has done great work for us, whereof we are glad. The Lord has done great things for us, whereof we are glad. But in the midst of this, there's a course of action David had to make, Paul had to make, Moses had to make, Abraham had to make, I have to make, you have to make. In the course of it, my friend, that we've come to this day to rejoice because God be praised for what we have, the CFO. But in the midst of it, there were people here and the people who have gone to be with the Lord, people who were in various locations, in various departments in the city. And because of all of this, it is possible the Lord has done great things in our life. Give the Lord a clap offering. I want you to say a couple of psalms with me. Psalm 92 and verse 5. Can you read it aloud? O Lord, how great are your works. Thy thoughts are very deep. Psalm 111 verse 2. The works of the Lord are great, sought out of all them that have pleasure therein. When we go to heaven, there is a song we'll be singing. The redeemed together with the Old Testament saints. And this is called the Song of Moses and the Song of the Lamb. But I want you to listen to two words that is in this. When you turn to Revelation chapter 15 and verse 3, it simply says, and they sing the Song of Moses, the servant of God, and the Song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works. Just and true are your ways, thou King of saints. Great and marvelous. As the band prepares to come, I'm just going to say, in these last days, we're going to see something that is darkness and gross darkness. 
And yet, when I want to talk about the last days, the book of Daniel speaks in these last days. He tells us in Daniel chapter 11 and verse 32, there's wickedness. Such as do wickedly against the covenant shall he cut up by flatteries. That is what the Antichrist will do. But listen to what the latter portion says. I want to read this with me. But the people that do know their God shall be strong and shall do exploits and shall do great things. Yesterday, in the midst of prayer on Friday night, just a woman of God got up and said, Lord, help us, Lord, to do greater works than these. And the Lord spoke to my heart and said, yes, it's possible. Because she quoted the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to what it says in John chapter 14 and verse 12. This is what the Lord said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these, because I go to my Father. I go to my Father. How could it be possible? We're just human. But Paul tells us how it can be done. In Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13, he simply says, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens us. Can you say amen? amen? I leave two words with you today. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. Or oh, being confident of this very thing, the Lord which has begun a good work in you, whether it is 52 days or whether it's 40 years, He will perform it. And ultimately, I want you to know, in First Thessalonians 5 and verse 24, faithful is he that calleth you, he will also, go ahead, do it. How I thank God for his goodness. Can you say, thank you, Lord? You are going to do what you called to do. I believe it. And if that's what it is, if you stand up, I'm going to pray for you today. Father, I just pray for your people today. You have begun a good work. And the psalmist says, you will perfect that which concerns us. Your word says you will perform it. You are faithful who will also do it. And I pray this, Lord, whether it be lives, whether it be profession, whether it be studies, whether it's ambition, or whether it's call of God in the lives and dreams of people, do it in Jesus' name. God's people said, Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray that you've been encouraged by the Word of the Lord. To learn more, please visit our website, highlandny.org, or our Facebook page, Highland Church New York. Until next time, may God richly bless you.